0: So good to uh, to be with you this morning. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to you. And as Andre said, thanks to everyone who uh, shared those photos. It was just so good to see and celebrate uh, so many of our moms. And, uh, and so I'm just very, very excited and trust that that was an encouragement and blessing to you as well. And then I, of course, I want to take a moment just to say uh, happy Mother's Day to my mom. I know that she is... Uh, tuning in and listening so mom I love you and uh, I just thank you for really beyond what I can describe I thank God for you and uh, what a gift he has given me in you and then I want to of course uh, acknowledge uh, the mother of my children my wife and so I'm uh, just so amazed by you and um, continually in awe of who you are and and all that you do but more than you do uh, who you are, your, your character and strength of character and just the wisdom and grace uh, that you provide for all of us. So happy Mo- Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Really, really uh, glad that you're with us this morning and look forward to our time together. We do have a lot to cover in this morning's uh, scripture passage, and so I want to invite you to take your Bible, please, and uh, meet me in Acts chapter 27. Acts 27 acts 27 finds the apostle Paul on the move it's somewhat of a transition chapter in which Paul is being transferred uh, from the region of Judea where he has been unjustly detained for the past two years uh, to Rome where he will eventually appear before the emperor himself the entire chapter uh, takes place on a ship, uh, two ships, actually, on the open sea. It begins uh, on the Mediterranean Sea, and after many storm-tossed days, it ends, uh, on the, uh, it ends in shipwreck on the Adriatic. Now, uh, I've never been much of a boating guy, to be honest with you. Uh, I have been on a few fishing expeditions, Uh, over the course of time, uh, Santa Cruz, Bodega Bay and such. Uh, I've sailed the San Francisco Bay a few times. Even as a young kid, I remember going out with friends and family uh, for some very uh, pretty tame uh, days on the water. Uh, But I'm certainly not what you would uh, uh, call a seafarer. Uh, And I've never experienced uh, a shipwreck, certainly not, although... Uh, I did grow up watching Gilligan's Island, but that is about as close as I get to that. Now, I'm not sure where you fall on this spectrum, but, but I am a landlubber at heart. So my nautical experience is is limited, to say the least. However, though we may not be able, though we may not all be able to relate to the nautical aspects of this chapter, I do believe we have faced many storms of many different kinds, both literal and figurative, and and maybe even a few personal shipwrecks along the way. And so I believe there is great value for us in this chapter. I believe God has something to speak into our lives from this chapter. Uh, because in the end, life isn't about our ability to navigate around the storm. It's about God who brings us safely through it. So I'm going uh, to pray, and then I just want to give our attention to Him and to His voice this morning. Father, we want to thank You for uh, the time we have in the Scripture this morning. We want to thank You um, for this, this means of gathering we're able and blessed and privileged to enjoy today. And as we so often pray, I just want to again uh, ask you that as we open our Bible, would you open us to its truth? Would you impress its truth upon our lives? Would you speak to us? Uh, would you Would you give us ears that would hear? Would you give us hearts that are ready to receive, and and ultimately, Lord, would you make us to be different um, as a result of our time in the Scripture today? Would you make us to be more faithful and hopeful? And then would you help us to be uh, ministers of these truths with the people we meet and know? And so we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for Him. Amen. Now, as I said, we've got a lot to cover today. I want to take it uh, in two parts. I want to take the chapter in two parts, two separate readings, one reading for each leg of the, vo- the voyage, beginning in uh, chapter 27, verses 1 through 12, and then we'll do 13 through 44, In just a bit. But Acts 27 verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty at Ophnitis, and as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying... Sirs, I perceive that the, the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. And so these first 12 verses describe the first leg of the the voyage, which likely began in the port city of Caesarea in the district of Judea, again where Paul had been detained. He and other prisoners were assigned to a centurion named Julius, who, as we learn, was kind to Paul. Uh, he even respected Paul, and by chapter's end, he protected and saved Paul's life. In addition to Julius and his other prisoners, uh, Aristarchus was there too. We first met Aristarchus back in chapter 19. He appears again in chapter 20, and yet, uh, and here again in chapter 27. He's mentioned in Scripture on two other occasions, also in Colossians and. Philemon, and by all accounts, it appears that he and Paul had become close friends. They were partners in ministry, and they were um, they were fellow prisoners in the Lord. Aristarchus was with Paul even to the very end in Rome, so it seems they remained together through thick and thin. Luke was on board also. Of course, Luke is the author of Acts, and right away in verse 1, he notes the decision that that we should sail for Italy, and the word we there indicates his presence on the ship as well. Now the ship came from Adramidium, a large uh, port city in Mysia in the province of Asia Minor. uh, There are two ships in this chapter, so for clarity's sake, Uh, just so that we don't confuse one for the other, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty and I'm going to call this first ship the Adramidium. Uh, And we'll see right away that, that it essentially hugged the coast of Asia as the crew journeyed north from Caesarea to Sidon. And because the winds were difficult, they were contrary, they were against them, as Luke notes, they navigated around the island of Cyprus and along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. And finally they came to Myra in the province of Lycia. This will all make sense in a little bit, as I'll have a map that I'll show in just a bit. There in Myra, they disembarked, likely because the Adramidium was more of a coastal vessel than one fit for the open seas. So Julius the Centurion, being the one in charge of this voyage, secured a second ship, a larger ship, And it was an Egyptian-made vessel from Alexandria. I'm going to call it the Alexandrian. It was a cargo ship bound for Italy, carrying weight and grain to Rome. To Rome from Egypt. Now, with everyone on board the second ship, they set out from Myra and sailed slowly for many days, arriving with much difficulty, we're told, off Nydas. The winds were so strong, they could go no farther. In fact, it took all they had just to get to the island of Crete, where with even more difficulty, they coasted along the island before they came to a place called Fair Havens, which is kind of ironic because I'm sure, <clears throat> I'm sure to those on board, it, uh, I doubted they felt that it was neither fair nor haven-like at that time. But at Fair Havens, they faced a critical decision, and this really is the pivot point in the chapter. They were already off course. They were way past schedule. Uh, so much time had already passed. Luke notes that even the fast had passed, and that's in reference to Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. So they're already way, uh, way late into the year. It's probably around October At this time, winter was fast approaching and the decision where to spend the winter was now confronting them. Do they winter in fair havens, which according to verse 12, wasn't really ideal or suitable? Or do they try to hug the southern coast of Crete for another 40 miles or so in hopes of reaching Phoenix which promised safe harbor until winter passed. Paul, as we saw in verse 10, Paul observed just how difficult and dangerous the winds have been thus far and how late into the year they already were. Paul spoke up and he basically said, we need to stay. But, but the ship's captain thought it better to go to set out for Phoenix, which made more sense to Julius as well. So a vote was taken, and the majority agreed they would, they would, they would, they would, they would sail from Fair Havens on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix. And so what we have here is a voyage already wrought with da- uh, difficulty and danger was about to get even worse. Now, I know that was a lot to cover. I want, I've got a map here I want to show up on the screen for you uh, that, that really, I think, will provide maybe some visual aid as we try to piece this together. So if you're looking at the right side of your map there, that's where they began in that port city of Caesarea, not far from Jerusalem. And you can see they traveled north to Sidon, and then that's where they encountered those winds that were against them. There were contrary winds, and so they tried to find some shelter around the island of Cyprus, and then they arrive uh, in the port city of Myra, right there in Pamphylia. Now, Myra is where they changed ships. They moved from the Adramidium to the Alexandrian, and then they set out from Myra They are taken off course, they end up in Nidus, and then they come back down toward Crete, kind of right there in the middle of your map. Again, they try to find some shelter by sailing around the, what would that be, the eastern tip of Crete, and they arrive at Fair Havens. That's where the decision is made. Do we we stay here in Fair Havens for the winter, or do we try to make it just, just... a little bit to the west there, to the town of Phoenix, which was a much larger port and more accommodating for a winter's stay. You'll see then from that point, as we will soon read, they're going to they're gonna kind of leave out from Fair Havens. They're going to uh, really kind of get lost in the, uh, the Adriatic Sea for a bit, and they're going to end up on the left-hand side of the map there at a little island called Malta. They'll shipwreck onto Malta. What you see above Malta, the the journey from Malta to Rome, that's really not in chapter 27. That's going to take place next week, but this at least gets us to Malta. So you can see where they began there on the right side of the map. Now they're in the middle of the map on the island of Crete. They're going to end up on the left side of the map at Malta. Pay attention also to the great Sirtis down below on the left-hand side as that comes into play as well. So with that as some context, I want to return back to the passage and read continue reading from chapter 13 through 44 so again they're they're at fairhavens and they decide to sail for phoenix verse 13 now when the south wind blew gently supposing that they had obtained their purpose they weighed anchor and sailed along creek close to the shore but soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster, struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the surdice, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since they were violently storm. We were violently storm-tossed. They began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me when... And not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. And yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. And when the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, so they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took a a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms, and fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, hey, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take food saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land. But they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground, the bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape, but the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their, their plan. He ordered those who could swim, to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And so the second leg of this voyage, it actually appeared positive at first. As they set out from Fair Havens, the south wind blew gently, we're told. The crew weighed anchor. The ship sailed along Creek, close to the shore, and it seemed as if they were attaining their goal. But it was all just a tease. Like many storms, things quickly changed. A tempestuous wind arose. The word there in verse 14 is... Uh, typhonicus in the Greek, from which we get the word typhoon. And so essentially this typhoon blew in off the land and buffeted the ship in every which way. There was no fighting it. In fact, to fight it posed even more danger, so the crew gave way to it. They decided better to just ride it out and let, let the storm take, it, take the ship where it would. They found some shelter behind the small island of Cata, just off Crete. And so there they managed to hoist and secure the lifeboat and, and were also able at that time to provide some extra support for the ship itself, strapping and bracing it from underneath. But as if the storm wasn't enough, there were large sandbars to contend with as well. The Sirtis, or as we saw on the map, the Great Sirtis off the North African coast where Many previous ships, it had a reputation, many previous ships had already met their doom. So they lowered the gear in hopes of slowing the ship's progress. They were driven along, violently storm tossed. The next day they jettisoned the cargo. By the third day they, sh- they threw the, the ship's tackle overboard. And then for many days, for many days they went without seeing the sun or the stars. Now, of course, this was before the, uh, the invention of the compass or sexton. And so the sun, is, the sun was a sailor's guide by day, as were the stars by night. In other words, the picture here is one of total darkness, total lostness. They were in the thick of it tossed this way and that, not knowing which direction is which. And that's when Luke writes in verse 20, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've quite literally lost all hope. I've certainly had Feelings of hopelessness. I've had intense feelings of, of great hopelessness at times, and those feelings in and of themselves, those are terrifying. But I can't remember, as I thought through that this week, I can't remember a single instance where things got so bad and appeared so hopeless that I actually resigned myself to the worst possible outcome, a time when I lost even the possibility of hope, even the possibility of better, even the possibility of better had just totally vanished. I thought this week about those heart-wrenching stories. You've heard them too, those heart-wrenching stories of those poor and desperate people who were trapped in the upper floors of the Twin Towers during the 9-11 attack. And just that moment that came over them when the hope of rescue horribly gave way to no hope at all. That's exactly where these men on that ship were in that moment. They were done. And they had completely resigned themselves to a hopeless reality. And it was during that time... When everyone on board gave themselves to the worst case scenario, including Paul apparently, that's when God showed up. God sent an angel to Paul, don't be afraid Paul, you will get to Rome, you will appear before Caesar, you and everyone on this ship will make it. You see, just like us, Paul needed to be reminded of God's presence and of God's Promise made to him much earlier, that he would take the message of Jesus to the very heart of the Roman Empire. Paul needed his hope renewed. And once renewed, he began to renew the hope of the others, though it didn't sound like hope at first. At first, it sounded kind of like a, a big fat, I told you so. Man, you should have listened to me. Had you listened to me when we were at Fairhaven's, We wouldn't be in this mess right now, but now that we're here, take heart. For God has told me that not one of you will be lost. But in fairness, I don't think this wasn't I told you so at all. I think what Paul is doing by pointing back to Fairhavens is he's just saying that, listen, just like what what I said then has come to pass, just like that, what I'm telling you now That not a single one of us will be lost. God's told me that. Just like I'm telling you now, that's going to come to pass. It's just as trustworthy as what I told you before. And so he testifies to his trust in God. The God to whom he belongs and whom he worships, saying, in verse 25, I have faith, I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. And I just don't want us to miss the significance of this this moment. I want you to see the impact we can have on others simply by trusting God when they can't or won't. Sometimes we need to stand in the gap for other people, it's that gap that exists between their present circumstance and their understanding of that circumstance and the goodness of God. It's in this gap. We need to stand in that gap. Now, obviously, we cannot make them trust God. We cannot change the heart in that way, but we can trust God for them by offering hope when all hope seems lost. By sharing his belief in the trustworthiness of God, Paul was imparting courage into the hearts of those who need it who needed it and so can we we can do that very same thing but i want you to notice next how it how it got worse before it got better boys we're going to make it paul said god told me paul said not a single one will be lost just the boat and yet the very next section finds them still being torn, uh, storm-tossed across the Adriatic Sea. And it's like that sometimes, isn't it? We want so badly. We want a quick turnaround. We want a quick change. We want the circumstance to change immediately. We want God's promises to pass right now. But sometimes, isn't it true that sometimes the hard gets harder And knowing these promises, as Paul certainly did, and believing them and trusting them, that doesn't always change our current situation. It only changes our view of the situation. It was midnight on the 14th day. Fourteen days and nights lost at sea when the sailors sensed that maybe they were approaching dry land. They couldn't see where they were going. No sun or stars but they could still hear. And apparently they heard the familiar sounds of of surf crashing against the rocks. And so they took a sounding, first 20 fathoms, then 15. Fathom is about 6 feet. They were getting closer and not wanting to crash upon the rocks, they dropped the anchors and prayed for day to come. And it was at this time that some of the crew... Who knows what was going on in their mind? Doubting Paul. Doubting this message from God. These were experienced seamen. They knew the seas. They knew the storms. And some of them decided this was an opportunity to jump ship. Their plan was to lower the lifeboat under the premise of dropping anchor. For them, it... for them under the dark of night, it, w- it really was a sense of every man for himself. You know, trials have a way of bringing out the best and worst of people. When the storm hits and plans go awry, some are prone to despair and second-guessing and finger-pointing and even this onset of a what's-in-it-for-me attitude Even in the church, if we're honest, even in the church, even amongst otherwise well-intentioned people, we're sometimes tempted to jump ship, especially when those storms last much longer than we anticipated. The Bible says that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. But endurance comes first in that list, notice. So we must learn to endure if we're to experience the character development and ultimately the hope that our present sufferings bring into clearer focus. Now, of course, trials can also bring people together around a common cause. So somehow, Paul got word of their plan and told Julius and the other soldiers, hey, unless these men stay with the ship, we're all going down. And so the soldiers cut the boat loose. The escape plan was foiled. And once again, literally, they were all in the same boat. There's this prevailing sense of we're in this together, no matter what, come hell or high water. Day was about to dawn. So Paul stood before them all. I just love kind of the arc of Paul's story here. He, by this point, he'd essentially become their chaplain. He'd earned the respect of Julius. The, shi- the ship's captain likewise looked to him for guidance, apparently. So even though he was a prisoner, Paul had the freedom to move around and sp- Speak freely whenever appropriate. Two weeks had come and gone. Two weeks of suspense at sea. Two weeks of being so anxious and fearful they couldn't even eat. So Paul says, eat. Regain your strength. He reminds them that we're going to make it, though of course he didn't know exactly when or how at that time, but, but look at verse 35. And when he said these things, He took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it. And he began to eat. And they were all encouraged. And they were all encouraged. Not some. And they were all encouraged. You see what's happening here? I've, I've been there. I've been on the receiving end of similar encouragement like like the others on that ship. I've gone to visit people in their homes or in the hospital, for instance. People going through very difficult situations, very challenging and, and hard situations. And I've gone to them intending to bring some encouragement their way. And yet as I hear them trust in God, as I hear them even thank God for this situation that in some way has refined and developed their faith, how they've met God in such a real and personal way, even in the middle of that affliction, I'm the one who leaves encouraged. I, I went to them in the hope of bringing encouragement, and yet I hear them thank God for their situation and how He's brought them thus far, and I'm the one who leaves encouraged. That's what Paul's doing here. Paul had already shared their, his faith with them earlier. They knew him already. They knew him to be a man of faith already. He had talked about how he belonged to God and worshipped God and now he paused to thank God. And he did it in plain view of all. I want you to, to listen to this. Your Gratitude to God in the midst of trial is a powerful tool in the lives of others. Your gratitude to God in the midst of trial is a powerful tool in the lives of others. They were all encouraged, they ate. They ate till they had their fill. Then they lightened the load even more by throwing the remaining wheat into the sea. And at daybreak, they finally saw land. You can imagine their relief and reaction. They didn't recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach, so they planned to run the ship ashore. They cut the anchors, they dropped the rudders, they hoisted the foresail, and they made for the beach, and yet, yet again... They were met with another unforeseen obstacle. Striking a reef, they ran aground. The bow of the ship got stuck. It wouldn't budge. The stern, buffeted by the surf, began to break. The ship, as seaworthy as it had proven to be, couldn't take it anymore. It had already been through so much, so it was coming apart. It was breaking apart. And the soldiers on board, fearing that the prisoners would would escape. The soldiers drew their sword. They knew the Roman way, that if, a, that if a guard lost a prisoner, he would be held personally accountable. So it was much better to kill the prisoner now than risk the loss of your own life later. But Julius stepped in. And he stepped in, we're told, wishing to save Paul. And he ordered everyone overboard. Those who could swim were to swim for shore. And those who couldn't were to grab planks or pieces of the ship and and basically use them like floaties to paddle themselves to shore. And so it was, verse 44, that all were brought safely to land. And to this day, by the way, that bay off the island of Malta where those men found rescue, that bay is now called St. Paul's Bay in commemoration of this very scene. But from, from storm to shipwreck, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, we may never find ourselves lost and tossed at sea as Paul did. I certainly hope not. Still, today, we can learn from his example. As we step back and just kind of take in this whole chapter at once, I think maybe the biggest takeaway is simply this. Being In God's will does not guarantee smooth sailing. Being in God's will does not guarantee smooth sailing. Paul was in God's will, in the middle of God's purposes, in the middle of God's promises, but that didn't ease the difficulties of life. Not for Paul. Not for us. The Bible says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. When, not if. When you meet trials of various kinds. It says, do not be surprised when trial comes upon you as though something strange was happening to you. You see, being a Christian doesn't mean a pain-free existence That's just not reality. There are wonderful, godly people who honor the Lord both today and throughout history. Some of you who, who honor the Lord and, and yet endure significant hardship because whether Christian or not, hardship and suffering is common to the human experience in this present age. But more than anyone else, those of us who know and follow Jesus can find purpose in the pain. God helps us in that way. So as 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 says, this light, momentary affliction is in fact preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That means that if we were to pile all the sufferings of life on this end of the scale and then somehow gather and pile all the glories that are ours in Christ, that are already ours in Christ, as well as those awaiting us in heaven, the glory on this end of the scale, so far outweighs the suffering, it's not even close. But of course, it doesn't feel like that in the moment of suffering. And yet, as Romans 8.28 so famously reminds, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, meaning the ultimate good, the greatest good for those who are called according to his purpose. So in conclusion, I just think that like those on that boat, when, when all hope seems lost, take heart. When tempted to jump ship, stay together. When everything suggests otherwise, give thanks. At times it may feel as if you're clinging to mere planks or pieces as your world crumbles around you. But in the end... Life isn't about our ability to navigate around the storm. It's about God who graciously brings us through it. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. It grace that brought us safe thus far. And grace will lead us home. Amen. God, we want to thank you for this time. We thank you for speaking to us, for strengthening us. We want to thank you for your grace that saves us and sustains us through thick and thin. And so I pray that you would Help us now to to live by faith. Give us courage. Would you encourage our hearts today? Would you instill in us this deep sense of gratitude for who you are and all you've done and and the promise that you will see us through? We trust you for these things and more. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.